Christ Jesus our Lord. Terrible is God in his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Faithful God, you have opened the gate of mercy for your people. You have opened it by your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and was raised for us. And you're always ready to welcome those who turn to you in his name. Look upon us in your compassion that we may gladly respond to your love and faithfully walk in your way through Jesus Christ our Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen. First hymn is number 52. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, thank the Lord. In Jesus Christ, the grace of God has been manifested completely in its full form, and he has brought salvation. He's taught us to renounce impiety, to live lives that are self-controlled and upright and godly, which we can do through being joined with Christ by having faith in him. Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who were zealous for good deeds." In humility and faith, let us confess our sin to God. Almighty and most merciful God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, that we have not loved you with our whole heart and soul, with all our mind and strength, and that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We ask you, O God, to forgive what we have been, to help us to amend what we are, and of your mercy to direct what we shall be, so that we may henceforth walk in the way of your commandments and do those things which are pleasing in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 
I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel, and we say together, praise be to God. Saints of the living God, I bid, in the words of the apostle, I bid, I bid every one among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who contributes in liberality, he who gives aid with zeal, he who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus Christ does not give us gifts for our own satisfaction to just make ourselves feel better or somehow feel like we have something to do. He gives us gifts and a variety of gifts for the church to, that we can use to serve one another. And we are to use the gifts that Jesus gives us. We are not to just squander them or to uh, set them aside because we don't want to uh, participate. None of us is left impoverished without anything to give. <clears throat> we all have ways of helping and contributing to the body of Christ. Each one of us has gifts. There are, I think it's a mistake to just read the, um, the texts in the Bible. There are three main texts that talk about spiritual gifts where Paul talks about the gifts. But to treat those as like lists that are definitive and list every kind of gift that could possibly be given to the church. God gives gifts to the church according to what it needs. And so um, there can be new gifts or gifts that we don't see in those lists that are still to be, uh, that are still given by God and to be used for the church. So um, we aren't just limited to look for what is my gift. I was actually taught and raised that way um, when I was a kid to, to figure out what is my gift, and then I go through the list and say, oh, I must be that. Um, no, we are given the gifts that, we, that, that God gives us according to the context we're in in the church um, at the time. So remember, God um, has many, many gifts. He's not limited in what he gives us. And the church has different needs at different times. So as we learn what our gifts are, as we become aware of the ways that we are able to contribute, let us do so and let us use them um, in service to each other. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 682, In Thee, O Lord, I Put My Trust. Request and swiftly live. 
Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have taken a people for yourself from among the nations. You have gathered us together, and many in this congregation do come from other nations in this world. You have covered our sin with your forgiveness. You've set us apart for your salvation, and you've blessed us and watched over us and protected us and taken care of us. And even when we have grumbled and complained, and you did this with Israel, and you've done it for us through Jesus Christ, and now with the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our salvation, we pray to you as your beloved family in Christ. We pray, O God, you would bring peace to this world in the places, especially the places right now of Syria and Israel and Palestine and Ukraine in our own cities where there seem to be so many murders and violence of various kinds like Chicago, we pray you would bring peace to these places. May the Christian churches bear witness to the reconciliation of Jesus Christ and to how we should live together in peace. We thank you that the wicked are stopped and we pray that you would put an end to the rampant killing. Here are our prayers for the relief of people in distress in dangerous places in this world. We pray for our government to be just and a cause for peace. We pray for all of our leaders and for those Christians who are in positions of authority. It is not easy to be a Christian and in, in the uh, places of of leadership and rule these days. We also pray for the Supreme Court that its decisions and policies would reflect the rightness of your moral order for this world. Bring stability to our society. Grant us the freedom to continue to worship and serve you in this country, which means living out our faith in the public square. Here are our prayers for those who rule over us. Fill your church with your spirit. Bless us. Keep us holy. Do not let us fall into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May your church in every place know that our worship is to be according to your word and that it has a particular form and quality that is peculiar and wonderfully glorious. Inspire the church's proclamation of the gospel, and may it be the community of faith and hope and love that is coupled with forgiveness and humility in Christ. Here are our prayers for particular churches that come to mind. 
For our congregation, we pray for those who are in poor health or in need of help, those who are sick this day, many who are sick. We do pray for Frida and Jeff, Fawn, Eduardo, and for Tammy's family. For our friends Becky and Angie, Tom, Phil, Bob, Susan, Jane, Karen, Hope, Candace's mother Barbara. We also pray for the men in jail, for Jeff and for Charles and Johnson and the others with whom we met this last Friday. We pray you would heal them, comfort them, make them understand the gospel and cling to it. We pray you'd give them your grace to trust you in their troubles and that you would remember those um, in need, that you would send to them the aid that they need. And we also name others to you now in silence. For those who are afraid of the trials and tribulations they face in this world, we pray for them. Make us to continue to grow in our love for one another so that when one of us is in need, we would care for that person and that we would strive together and work out any problems that arise. And in so doing, may we mature and grow by your grace until, as the scripture says, we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God in complete adulthood. Blessed Lord, keep us, help us to resist the imitation of this sinful world. Keep us from compromising our faith. Keep us from just simply trying to accommodate or adjust our faith to the world in which we live. Do not let us fear suffering, but to trust in Christ's victory over death and his supremacy over the powers of this world. Keep us from being shaped by secularism, both in our faith and our life as Christians. But instead, may we take up the disciplines of following Christ. And in this way, may our hearts be filled with the joy of Christ and our hands reach out to the world with Christian love. Receive our prayer, O Father, which we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
Let us pray and ask the Lord to bless our reading of the scripture. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your word has been revealed in Jesus Christ, that you have spoken your word into this world, and the prophets and apostles have um, delivered it, have brought it as messengers of your word, brought it to your people. And we pray now that as we read the scripture, as it has now been Um, collected and given to us, we pray that we would hear it, that we would believe it, that we'd understand it, the preaching would help us understand it, and we would live accordingly. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work with us now in this uh, reading and preaching of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So our first lesson is from... This all situated. Is from Ruth, chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men, to, the, to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. 
Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it, to, uh, leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaking forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Our, script, our Psalter response is printed in the bulletin. I will extol you, my God and King. Every day I will bless you. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall On the glorious splendor of your majesty, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord is good to all. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. And your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your 
Our epistle lesson is from Philippians, chapter 2, starting at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And then finally, our gospel lesson is from Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorify God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The word of the Lord. There's already talk about the Academy Awards in 2024, um, and it seems at least from my perspective, that once these things start being talked about, you start hearing about the Country Music Awards and all these different um, Grammys and all these different awards they start um, pushing and hosting uh, really into the new year. Otherwise, they're also known as the Oscars. These awards honor people in different categories in the movie industry. So the upcoming gala is planned in March. I didn't realize this, but I think last year was in April this year it's in March, and so you can't always count on it like, you know, like a holiday of the year. It's, it seems like it varies according to, uh, I don't, really don't know why it does, but anyway, this year it's in March. And that's when the awards will be presented. There will be Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Costume Design, Best Original Score, and on and on and on it goes. I don't know about you, I have never watched them. Um, maybe flipped by them once, but they seem to go on for a very long time. 
and uh, they have all kinds of awards to give. And the auditorium where they meet will be packed with celebrities, and there will be the red carpet, and everyone will be coming in, and there will be much fanfare and showmanship. And sometimes it even gets a bit dramatic when someone does not get the award he or she believes he or she deserves, and there are other uh, ways that it gets dramatic. There are all kinds of commendations given in our world. There are athletic awards, humanitarian awards, academic awards, military awards, school awards. There are even awards for growing the biggest pumpkin. These days, almost everyone can get some kind of an award during their lifetime. And I imagine many of you have received awards at at some point in your life. Compared to the awards we give out today, the commendations in our reading from Philippians sound insignificant. Now, today's scripture reading from Philippians might be an exercise in politeness for us. We're good, polite Christians, so we sit and we listen to this kind of a reading, uh, politely listening to Paul commend two relatively unknown men who lived at another time, a long time ago, in another part of the world. When Paul begins to spell out his plans for sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to the Philippian church with his commendation, our distance from the text becomes obvious. It's a text like this where we realize, oh, we're in the 21st century, and this is way back in the first century. Time has passed, a lot of time. Plans were made back then, and whatever happened, happened. We don't even know exactly how it all turned out. We have our own issues today in the church. We have our own concerns to consider. So as soon as we hear this this part of the letter, the letter to the Philippians, our thoughts might drift away. There may be some among us who gallantly pay attention, knowing that we ought to, right? It's scripture. We're supposed to listen to this. And we mark the text as adding more information to our meager knowledge of the first century churches, the members thereof. But that takes a little bit of work and a little bit of a, of a thought about why am I listening to this? Why do we need to be interested in this? Some of us would prefer to hear more about the glorious hymn at the beginning of the chapter that speaks of Christ who became man in our sinful condition, died on the cross, and then was exalted as Lord above every ruler and power. That's the kind of text in the Bible that that captures our attention, that makes us think there's so much to it. It's rich. It's a goldmine. You could preach many, many sermons on that text. In fact, that one in particular um, is probably one of the outstanding texts um, that has just been a a goldmine for Christian theology. It stretches our mind. It excites our heart. We could listen to it all day long, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And there's been all kinds of attention given to that hymn of Christ's humility and exaltation. But then again, some of us may be glad to hear the few words about down-to-earth, flesh-and-blood people in our text. You know, the Christian faith sometimes can become sort of abstract, sort of idealistic. Uh, At least that's the way it sometimes is presented. And so to hear about two people like us, like you, who we don't know much about them, but they had names... First, first names, and they were dealing with issues, uh, different kinds of issues in the early church. That is kind of refreshing, isn't it, to hear that these people are, are real flesh and blood people? But whatever the case, we may very well find ourselves working hard to listen to this part of Paul's letter. I've tried to give you a number of reasons why we might be interested in it. 
And there's no disrespect to Paul or the Philippians intended. No doubt Paul's words of commendation were a relief to those Christians. When, when people are commended, they appreciate that. It's a way of expressing gratitude or, or uh, expressing some honor for them. Um, and so we can appreciate that for the original hearers, but it doesn't concern us. See, we, Timothy didn't come here. Epaphroditus never showed up here. So we have to politely listen to Paul, and then let's get on with it. Let's jump on to chapter 3, where there's some more juicy stuff. <laughs> In spite of Paul's long-ago plans, our reading puts some meat on the bones of the Christ-like disposition the church is called to have. Now, a few weeks ago, we heard the following words of Scripture read to us from the letter to the Philippians. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We heard that a couple weeks ago, and we know, we heard that this is the attitude or the disposition the church is called to. We're called to have that kind of an attitude and disposition. But it's not a general, ordinary kind of humility that, that's talking about. It's the attitude of Christ. And then the hymn that, that we heard uh, the beginning of chapter 2 says, Who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and was obedient even to death on a cross. That's the attitude, Paul says, the church is to have. Not a general humility, but this attitude of Christ. And that's what we find in the commendation of Timothy and Epaphroditus and even with Paul himself. Paul commends Timothy because Timothy exhibited the self-giving attitude of Christ. Paul writes, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all look after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted someone to go to minister to the church in Philippi, but he couldn't find anyone who was willing to go. And they probably had good reasons. They had businesses that needed to be managed. They had families that probably didn't want to be uprooted. It was a long and risky journey. Who knows exactly what the reasons were, but he had trouble. He, he wasn't able to find anyone else who wanted to go. No one was willing to go except Timothy. He considered the needs of the community of Christ's people in, in Philippi, and Timothy volunteered to go. He was willing to put aside his own interests for the sake of the church. And this is the down-to-earth attitude of Christ. It's one way the attitude of Christ's self-giving took shape in the church. Epaphroditus is, another, is also commended by Paul. Epaphroditus carried the gift of money from the Philippian church to Paul in prison. So whereas Timothy was probably not from Philippi, he was going to, to serve there uh, more or less as a minister, Epaphroditus was from the church. He'd be like one of you who carried the gift over to Paul. Now this would have helped, the gift would have helped with Paul's needs in prison, allowing him to buy food, clothes, other such necessities, because that's the situation in the prisons of that day. You didn't have uh, some kind of social care that was attached to the prison where people would get the things they needed. Um, you really depended on your friends and <clears throat> your family to bring what you needed uh, in the prison. And, and obviously there are big needs there. But while he was staying with Paul, Epaphroditus became deathly ill. Paul says, indeed, he was ill near to death. 
And here also we find that attitude of Christ's humility taking shape. It's not just a concept. It's not just an idea. It's not just a moral uh, uh, example that we're supposed to hear about. It takes shape in the church. And we see that with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus gave himself to the point of death, (coughs) excuse me, just like Christ who humbled himself and became obedient unto death. The attitude of Christ in Epaphroditus goes further than nearly dying in an effort to help Paul. When Epaphroditus learned that his church back home had heard that he was seriously ill, he was concerned for them. He was was anxious for them, that, that they would know that he was okay. The church was concerned for Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus was concerned for the church. In other words, they're looking, each looking to the interests of the other. And again, we see that attitude of Christ taking form in the church. These are not just things we hear about and ideas and, and, and great, um, great uh, things to talk about, virtues. They need to take form in the church, and that's what we see with this text. And then there was Paul. Paul, who was in prison, who was not sure whether he was going to live or die, he must have been glad to have his friends visiting him and caring for him, Timothy and Epaphroditus, what a dismal and depressing place the prison was. So to have a couple guys come and cheer him up and talk with him would have been wonderful. Even so, Paul wanted to send Timothy, send Timothy and Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church because he wanted to alleviate the church's distress. At a time when he so easily could have been thinking about himself and his own needs, Paul was thinking about the Philippian church and sending his two friends to them. And that's the attitude of Christ taking shape. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Scripture commends the likes of Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul, those who exhibit the self-giving attitude of Christ. The commendations of the gospel of Jesus Christ are not the same as the awards and commendations that are so coveted and revered today. And you should remember that because it's easy to get caught up in what the world loves to honor and to, to, to load the awards on us, and we get caught up with that and think, and those are the things that can excite us, and there's nothing wrong with receiving an award. I have a couple that I got when I was in high school. Um, but we should understand that they're not as great as the commendations that we receive um, that, are, that, that come from serving Christ. The accommodations and awards, the medals that that, uh, the world gives, really don't fit in the church. I I, I was thinking of examples, and I came up with the Academy Awards, but in the church, now there's probably some exception to this, but in the church, we don't don't line people up and give them accommodations and awards and medals for all the little good things they do. Um, Hopefully, we say thank you. But we don't, we don't have this award ceremony in the church um, where we, we give those out. It, it just it doesn't fit. It's, it's not something special. It's supposed to be the regular attitude that we have in the church. It's the natural shape of the church that's united to Jesus Christ in faith and love. So you who are united to Christ, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, you're shaped by his disposition. If you're united to Jesus Christ in faith, 
then in baptism, then you are being shaped by his disposition. Now, in our scripture reading, Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul are commended. And I'd like to commend to you two people who have humbly given themselves to the church. One is John McIntosh. Dr. McIntosh is what I called him because I knew him when I was a teenager. And I'm sure if he was here today, I wouldn't be using him as an example if he was here today, but I would still be calling him Dr. McIntosh. He came to First United Presbyterian Church in Greeley, Colorado when I was a teenager. My family and I were members of that church. It was a big church, had about 1,000 members. And the pastor needed some help, and so they called, uh, they ended up calling Dr. McIntosh to come as an associate pastor. And one of the things I remember when I first met him is that he was old. Old. You know, his hair was white, and he had this uh, just, you know, the wrinkled skin, and he just obviously was at the end of his life. He was from Canada, and he had been the pastor of several churches. He was a kindly man with a strong presence of encouragement. And he was there to help the church. He was there to work alongside the senior pastor, and he was there to care for the members of the church. After many years of pastoral work in other churches, he surely, surely had formed positions on what good preaching is. This is the way we should preach, on the sacraments, the ministry of the church, and all the rest of it. But he didn't try to push these on that church. He didn't come to try to make the church be the way he wanted it to be. He came to help and work with the session and the congregation. And not every pastor is like that, I'm sad to say. Some come to a church and they try to force it to fit their ideals. Dr. McIntosh exemplified Christ who took the form of a servant and gave himself to others. Someone else I would commend to you is Dwight. Dwight lived four houses down the road from the Presbyterian Church in Leota, Kansas. He was a quiet soul. He was single, but he was a quiet soul who reliably ran the sound system for the church, and he helped with the youth group. He was, he, he was just a regular, reliable part of that work. The church had been through a number of disputes and divisions, but Dwight did not jump into the disturbances. Now, it's easy to get caught up in the arguments and disagreements of the church, and it usually becomes personal, where people begin to take sides, this is my side, that's your side, that kind of thing. But once that happens, the members of the church are all defending their own way. Well, Dwight did not do that. Rather, he kept his opinions to himself and faithfully and reliably helped the church. I have found the members here, Uh, at Providence Church, by and large, to be like Timothy, Paphroditus, Dr. McIntosh, and Dwight. You all have wanted to help the church rather than force it to be the way you think it should be. And you have wanted to work alongside the ministry of the church. That doesn't mean that there aren't things that could be improved and better and on all of that, but that hasn't been the agenda of people, generally speaking, here. You have been striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You are not looking only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Not only does the attitude of Christ take shape in the lives of individual Christians, it takes shape in the life of the church. This is really what Paul is promoting with the Philippian church. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he uses a word, it's a plural, you, as in you all. 
is in the whole Christian community. This isn't something just one or two should be doing. The whole church, the whole body of the church should be doing this. The whole uh, the Christian community as the body of Christ, as the church, is to be looking not to its own interests, but to the interests of others. The church having the same attitude of Christ and the same love. Now let's think about that for a minute. How can that be? It's one thing to say an individual Christian should have that attitude, but how can a whole church have the same attitude? A congregation of people, each with his and her own attitude, each with his and her own interests. And compound that with the fact that we live in the United States of America, which is huge on individualism. Each one of us is concerned about different things, and we're very aware of our individuality. And that's uh, the way it is in our world. Some are concerned about the Jewish homeland. Others are concerned about the Palestinian homeland. Others are interested in the health care of this nation. Some are concerned with civil rights. Others are interested in the effects of pollution. One person is concerned about his friends. Another person is concerned about her friends. And it can be that way not just in our nation, but it can be that way in the church also. One is interested in the theology of John Calvin. Another is interested in the theology of Jonathan Edwards. And someone else is interested in the work of N.T. Wright. Paul took notice of the divided interest in the churches he visited, especially Corinth. He actually called them out about it. He wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, Each of you says, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas. They were divided by their own interests. How can the whole church have the same attitude and the same interest? How can we, who are so different from each other, have the same disposition? It's true we come into the church with all of our different attitudes and concerns. But in the church, we begin to have one new attitude and concern, and that's the attitude and concern of Jesus Christ. With everyone's faith set in Christ, with everyone hearing the message that he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, and was obedient unto death, even death on a cross, then the same mind and love of Christ begins to be ours. The only way the church, full of different people, can have the same interest and love of Christ is by each one of us looking to Christ in faith and listening to his word. That's the unifying point, not to mention the Holy Spirit who is at work in all of that. It's as we, all of us, look to Christ in faith and listen to his word, that's the only way it's going to happen, that we all together have the same attitude, disposition in Christ. When this does happen, then we're no longer caught up with our own interests, but we'll look to the interests of others. See, there's this outside reference point of Jesus Christ that draws us out of ourselves, and that's when we begin to care about the interests of others. Jesus Christ looks to the interests of others he, looks, he namely is concerned about our interests, and he gave himself for us. And now as his church, we look together to the interests of others, just like Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul did. The attitude and love of Christ are not just good ideas. Yeah, they're, they're great ideas, but that's not really what the point is. They're not just good things to believe. God shapes this attitude and love in us personally, and as a whole church. He's shaping it in us as we hear his word, as we look to Christ in faith, as the Holy Spirit's at work in us. Shaping it in each one of us individually and in the church as a whole. And he does that in many ways, but 
with the needs and the troubles that come along among us. When there are needs, those are opportunities for us to care about the other person, to take an interest in them. When there are troubles, like someone's out of a job, then we as a church can have an interest in, in that, that person and when, when what they need. The problems of health, the troubles of not having enough, enough money, the struggles of sin, all of this are ways that the church is able to focus on the concerns of each other. And it's with concerns like these that God will shape the same attitude and interest of Christ in us to look more to the interests of others than to ourselves. Why did Christ take the form of a slave? Why did he come to us, humble himself and come to be with us? Because we were caught up in our sin. So when there's a, a problem like that, when there's something going on within the church, it's an opportunity for us to focus our interest and concern together on, on that need. Your life as a church will take on the same attitude and interest of Christ. It's not always hardship. I don't want to present this like it's just hardship that allows us to do this. Um, there are many other opportunities as well that are very, uh, very good things um, to have that same mind and love of God in us. It can be very ordinary circumstances that come along. There are whole churches that are self-giving and who look more to the interest of others than to themselves. Entire churches that do that. One such church was in North Texas, north of Dallas. It was a small little town. The population of this little town was just a few hundred people. My wife and I still talk about it every once in a while. I should say Heidi and I talk about it every once in a while because they had this great chicken fried steak restaurant there. <laughs> it's a little diner. Man, that was good. While I was an intern at another church in Dallas, the contrast is immense here. The, ch the church where I was an intern in Dallas had 8,000 members, Highland Park Presbyterian Church. At that time, it had 8,000 members. It was very wealthy. And then you got this tiny little church that had been there for a long time. The building was probably 100 years old. Um, and I was asked to preach at that tiny church once a month. So the interns would sort of fill the pulpit for them. And when I first visited it, I discovered there were only 18 members in this church. And nearly all of them were over the age of 60, and half of them had some type of cancer. Yet, this was a church that welcomed me and my wife, gladly received the word of God, and did not make a big deal about my weaknesses as, as a seminarian who was just beginning to learn how to preach. And I had weaknesses. They shared with me what little they had, and they saw to my travel needs, together. Here was a church that had begun to have the same mind and interest in Christ. The opportunities to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests, are in every church, and they are in this church. And when we have an interest in others with the self-giving attitude of Christ, then we will be commended by God. And that's a commendation with much more consequence than the awards that we can give each other. Let us pray. Keep, O oh Lord, we ask you, your household, the church, in your steadfast faith and love, that by the help of your grace we may see to the interests of each other and to the interests of the church as it bears witness to Jesus Christ in this world. For the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who live and lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, 
now and forever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith with the creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us... Our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we approach the Lord's table is number 347, The Church's One Foundation.
we read in the Old Testament how the Lord came to Abraham and Sarah and shared a meal at their tent, just like the risen Lord Jesus Christ took a meal with his disciples and ate fish cooked on a charcoal grill on the beach. And none of them recognized him at first. Now he comes to us once more here, and we as his guests, we are his guests along with the whole church. We are guests of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come with Abraham and Sarah and find the gospel of salvation, the hope for your hopelessness, joy for your sorrow, purpose for your life, and the never-failing guidance of the Lord your God. According to the Lord's institution, this bread and cup is set apart from a common use to this holy use. Our Lord, on the night of his arrest, took the bread, he blessed God, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and he did the same with the cup. We receive Christ as he makes himself known in Scripture, sermon, and sacrament. And having again heard the voice of Christ in Scripture and sermon, let us come to his table and receive his gifts. All who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ, and are communicant members of a Christian church, or belong to a Christian church, are welcome to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. Join with me in giving thanks to God for our new life in Christ and our salvation. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Almighty God, good Father to us all, you are turned toward your world in mercy, not just in judgment for its sin, but in mercy and grace because of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to rescue us from sin and death. Your word goes out to bring us home to that place where the host of heaven sing your praise. And we join them in that song. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Father, we give you thanks for every gift that comes from heaven. Into the darkness, Jesus came as the light of your salvation. With his word and his deeds, he touched sinners and those who were broken with love, and he washed the guilty clean. We remember how the crowds came out to see your son, and yet at the end they turned on him. On the night he was betrayed, he came to table with his disciples to set out the meal for your people. Jesus blessed you, Father, for the meal. He took the bread, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples. He also gave the cup to his disciples and said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we do this in remembrance. We recall it, but we also participate in it. And therefore, Father, with this bread and this cup, we celebrate his death upon the cross in order to set us free. Defeating death, he rose again and is alive with you as our eternal Savior and to intercede for us and for your whole church. By the Spirit uniting us with Christ, may our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a communion in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we and all who share this meal offer ourselves to live for you and be welcomed at your feast in heaven, where all creation worships you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we offer this prayer together, we say, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. We give you eternal praise and thanks, O Heavenly Father that you have drawn us to your dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and have again imparted to us his true communion. And we ask you, grant to us that this holy communion may always be effective and strong in us, a means of grace that you use, the Holy Spirit uses, to help us grow in our faith and in propriety and patience and love, 
that we may lead a new and heavenly life, wholly pleasing to you, to your praise and honor, and for the upbuilding of our neighbor. Through the same, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 358, For All the Saints.
hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. I get to do the announcements. <laughs> so the elders, um, the Klaus says the Kellers are sick, um, so that, that's why they're not here. Um, but uh, so please remember them in prayer. The uh, went to the jail on Friday and had a number of guys come to the meeting. It was a good. Uh, it's a worship service, really, and um, and so uh, they got to hear the text and. Um, I explained it, commented on it, and then we had quite a discussion afterwards. And there was a guy there named Jeff, so um, that was kind of fun to share our names. Um, the search committee is at work and meeting, and Chaz is not here, Mr. Klaus is not here, but I thought maybe Annie could maybe just, you're on the spot. <laughs> but how did it go? Just, yeah, you had a meeting like, yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah, good. That's good, given that sermon, right? Um, yeah, so they're at work, and we just want to make sure you're updated every once in a while, and they're working on the mission, vision statement right now. Eventually, when they get this put together, the session will see it and approve it, and the congregation will get to see it, and there might be some, some feedback where we can make adjustments and that kind of a thing. So that's in process. That's starting up. Um, we have the Bible, the Bible study, which is a study on the development of the canon on Thursday nights at 7. Um, we will have a meeting this week, and then we're off for a while until January. Um, so please feel free. You can jump in. It's pretty easy to jump into this class um, if you'd like. And we do have some who show up via Zoom, so that's another way to do it. I'm trying to think. Um, we're not planning to have... Christian Ed on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, but we are planning to have a shower for Tally, who's my granddaughter. Uh, my wife is the one, she's not here, but she's the one um, trying to put that together. So Rebecca will be here with her husband Daniel and, not Tally, Jace, thank you. Tally just had her birthday party. Uh, Jace will be here, J-A-C-E. I pointed out to my daughter Rebecca, it, JC, right? And I said, so JC and the boys, right? She had, she had no idea what I was talking about. I don't know if you do, Jesus Christ and the disciples. Anyway, JC and the boys. Um, so when he's older, I'll point that out to him. But he will be here, this little baby, and we're going to have a little shower just so you get a chance to see them and talk with them. And I think there's going to be a, a, a meal served and 
So I hope you can come and, and just spend some time with them. They live out in Colorado, so it's not very often they get out here. But my kids are coming back for uh, Thanksgiving week, and um, so that's, that's an occasion for this. Am I missing anything? Is there anything else that needs to be shared? Okay. All right. Well, then we do have classes today um, uh, for the uh, high school students.